Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Eric Schulte, who took the reins as Pacific Retirement Services' new president and CEO on January 1st. The Medford, Oregon-based organization recently opened Mirabella at ASU, a continuing care retirement community on the campus of Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. The opening represents several years of work, and building occupancy at the new community is currently Pacific Retirement Services' top priority. While interest for university-based senior living projects did take a hit at the outset of the pandemic last year, Schulte is still bullish on the product type as the industry recovers long-term. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to mention our next Build Conference, which is scheduled to happen here in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in architecture, design, and innovation for senior living owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes to reshape the future now. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. And now, here's my interview with Eric Schulte, President and CEO of Pacific Retirement Services. Eric Schulte, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start with an update on how things have gone at Pacific Retirement Services for the past year. I know COVID-19 is a tough time for everyone. So, you know, over the past year, what's been most challenging for you all? And maybe what have you been most successful at? Sure, thanks. It's definitely been a challenging year for us. Ironically, we hold a leadership summit every year for all of our communities. And it was the week after we returned from three days of team building and initiatives, working through challenges, focusing on future. We all went back to our uh, our respective places of business with the idea that we were going to you know, have an amazing year and, and, you know, just hit it out of the ballpark. And unfortunately, it was the following week when COVID first broke and the, you know, community that was identified early on, and this is in March of 2020, was a nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, and we shared the same medical director as they did. So it started off fast and furious for us as a direct result of that. Thankfully, we only had one positive test, but that was that was our first test. I think it was the second week of March, and it's been COVID, COVID, COVID since then, unfortunately. When I look back at, you know, the year, I think more than anything, I'm, I, I just can't talk about how proud I am of our teams. They, in this face of uncertainty, every single day, showing up, not knowing, not knowing when they were getting tested, not knowing who was getting tested, not knowing what they were going to find in terms of new policies and procedures, regulations. Probably our single biggest challenge through this all has been operating in six states and having six different states, six different counties, six different cities, all with their own, you know, review processes, their own regulations, uh, when we could open dining, when we can't, who could use the fitness center, when they can't, how often do we test. You know, we found difficulty even in the testing process where false positives were, we experienced false positives on on multiple occasions. Um, so that, that's really been, you know, the biggest challenge for us. But I would I would also say I think it's gone better than we thought. As we were hearing 
news of, of you know, these skilled nursing facilities in Kirkland or, you know, in other parts of, of the states as you read the news now and you, you see what's happening in New York with some challenges in terms of the number of deaths. We've, ne- we've not experienced that at all. We feel actually really good about where we've been. We've been quick to act. We knew early on that our greatest risk was our employees. And so we've put you know the the policies and procedures in place that have have been really necessary for us to be successful. I'll, I'll tell you though that uh, being a multi-site provider has really been the greatest thing for us. You know we have a chief healthcare officer who's a nurse by background. We have an epidemiologist who helped navigate and, and guide us through outbreaks that we we may have had. But at the end of the day, you know as we look at COVID and we start to see vaccines. We're seeing, you know, more than 95% of our residents getting the vaccine. We're excited for, for what appears to be a light at the end of the tunnel and feel really good about what we've been able to do, do this last year. But I can't imagine it being, uh, or us being a single site facility. In fact, just this past week, I was at a single site facility that's struggling and looking for assistance in the executive director shared that in one outbreak they lost over 20 residents as a direct result of that. Again, we've we've not experienced that. We've not had those numbers and so we're we're thankful for that, but it also brings to light the need of the smaller single site or smaller systems that we can, you know, turn to and and assist and bring them some expertise that they don't normally have in-house. Yeah, absolutely. And and what you shared, I'm I'm glad to hear that Pacific Retirement Services hasn't seen something to quite to that extent. Before we get too deep into our interview, Eric, you might be new to some of our listeners. You took the reins as Pacific Retirement's CEO, I believe this year on the first first of the year, January 1st. So I guess my first question is, does your appointment represent a new direction for Pacific Retirement Services? And as you look ahead, what's on your personal priority list as new CEO? Sure. Yes. So I did uh, step into the position January 1st. Uh, Previous to that, I had been the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of Development. Been with PRS for just under five years came from uh, California originally, started my career, ironically, as a a maintenance man uh, for my first senior living community when I was 19 years old. And I'll I'll never forget my first day on the job where uh, I met still one of my favorite people. Uh, Her name was Beverly Anderson, and her husband had just passed away that weekend before I started. And my job as a 19-year-old kid in, in 1997 was to move Beverly from her assisted living apartment back to her independent living apartment. And I spent eight hours with her and heard all of her stories about her husband, Gene, and how sad she was, but that the care he received was amazing. And it, 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 there was an epiphany for me, even as a as a young man trying to figure out where I was going in my life kind of fallen in love with Beverly Anderson and her story and her husband. And I've worked in this industry since then for several different companies across California and now Oregon. You know, our longtime CEO, Brian McLemore, retired after 35 years of service. And, you know, when I look at where we're headed as a company, there's not great 
or, or you know, deep changes that are going to take place. Brian and I and our board uh, have agreed, you know, for many, many years on strategically where we want our company to be, how we're going to get there, what that looks like. You know, for me, though, as, as an operator at, at kind of my, my background, I want us to do great things. And that's, uh, you know, overly generic or general for sure. But when we look at our communities and we look at our campuses and what we do, we want to make sure that the things that we're providing our residents, the care and services in, in whatever fashion those are, are done at the highest possible level. And so we are committed to bringing in experts in various fields, such as dining. We do all of our own in-house dining. We have a vice president of culinary services who assists through all of that. One of the things we do that most people don't know is we do all of our in-house media. We found it to be far more effective to do though to do that in-house, working through our websites and, and not needing to, you know, go outside for logos or brochures or ads, etc. But that it really gives us a value add. But at the same time, things that maybe we're not great at, we're going to look for partners in doing that. Uh, we have, we do that with our therapy companies that we use. We don't do in-house therapy like that. And we do it in other areas and other, you know, skill sets, disaster preparedness. We use a outside firm to assist our communities through that. So not a significant change in terms of our direction. I think we've always had maybe a more conservative approach to growth and development, and we'll continue to do that. We like to do startups. We we feel we're great at doing those. We you know as you know we're we're starting up Mirabella at ASU as we speak. It, it certainly comes with its challenges, but we also think we're really good at repositioning. We've had a long-standing history of taking communities who've struggled and and who've maybe been more faith or fraternal based and coming in and and doing turnarounds. And then of course you know just affiliations. We believe we provide great care services to seniors, and so we want to continue to do that. And that's not just doing it in the 12 CCRCs now or the 25 community housing campuses that we have, which many, many people don't even know that exists within our portfolio. But we're going to do things that make us great, and the things that we don't do great, we're going to look to partner with them. But growth is one piece of that. We've actually just closed on a on a refinancing in in the first 30 days of the year that's beneficial to three of our communities, created an obligated group with them. That's gone really well. You know, of course, leading our communities through this pandemic, I truly don't understand how single sites are, are getting through this right now. When I look at our team, we have communications experts, we have healthcare experts, we have operations experts, facilities and, and culinary services, and we're spending all of our time working with our communities to help them be successful and even in the face of a pandemic to still provide those great care and services to them. So, and then of course, as I said earlier, you know, opening up our uh, Mirabella ASU, our first residents moved in on December 28th of last year. No one could have imagined when we started this project four and a half years ago that we would be opening in a pandemic, but our team is is doing great. We've certainly seen some challenges with that, but uh, excited that we have about 50 families living in the building now and expect uh, here within the first couple of months to have more than 100 families. That's great. And I've I've covered Mirabella at ASU in the past. I know that that Brian McLemore and I have talked about that project previously. And it's such a cool project. It's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a senior living community on the campus of Arizona State University. 
which is very interesting. I guess one question that I have, and, and I'm glad to hear that lease up seems to be going pretty smooth, even in the middle of a pandemic. One question I have for you, though, is as we look ahead to the future, do you see the equation changing for these kind of university-based senior living communities? Obviously, a pandemic kind of throws a wrench into all of the, I think, best laid plans right now. But looking ahead, I mean, what, what do you think is, is the future for this particular concept, you know, marrying senior living and universities? Sure. Great question. You know, this is uh, interesting for us in that pre-pandemic, you know, ASU, the Mirabelle at ASU on the Tempe campus had gotten so much press coverage and people were so interested in it that prior to the pandemic, we were talking with eight other universities, all of whom wanted to do something similar to this. Maybe not exactly. Uh, some some wanted to just follow that same blueprint, but others wanted to look at more creative options. And so we were working with many of them. But as the pandemic hit, as you can imagine, most of those conversations came to a halt. You know, our industries had a little bit of bad press. Maybe you'd even call it a little bit of a, a, a lot of bad press. You know, you've you've heard about nursing homes and deaths and you know, the pandemic and outbreaks, again, I can't stress more that, you know, what we see and what we read is not what we're experiencing. I don't believe it's what most of our industry, our industry, the, the life plan community industry is experiencing. But it's, it's that bad press has hurt for sure. Occupancy in some of our older communities, you know, we have a long, long leash in terms of filling up and, and residents you know, moving in from the time they decide to look at a community to the time they move in. So, you know, we're going to have to work through, I think, some of that bad press. I think, you know, uh, we're members of various not-for-profit groups, and we're already having those kinds of discussions, how to, you know, look at CCRCs and life plan communities in a different light. We argue that even though in the face of a pandemic and even though things have been challenging, um, if you're a if you're a senior sitting in your home by yourself, you're not having meals delivered, you're not having activities, you're not you know streaming you know fitness classes across our platforms. You've really been isolated and in our communities. We've been able to open you know depending on again that state and that county. Each of them, each state is wildly different, as you can imagine. Seattle or Portland as compared to our uh, community in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, and so it's been, again, a challenge managing those, but it's also allowed us, too, at certain times to, you know, be able to open dining or, or, you know, operate in a way that would be somewhat normal to pre-pandemic days. Obviously, that changes as spikes happen. We certainly, like everybody else in the country, saw a a big spike this past winter in our cases. And so, you know, there's been some challenges, but uh, overall, you know, I see the, the life plan community, the CCRCs, still working, still being active. There's going to, again, be a little bad press that we're going to have to work through after all of this pandemic. But again, I would argue that our residents are in a better position in our communities than they are at home, alone, you know, isolated. And so my belief is it'll pick back up pretty quickly. We've already had a a few groups inquire with us about uh, some Mirabellas and some larger metropolitan areas. But we're also looking at campus environments and uh, middle income. We want to grow our community housing. I shared that we have 25 community housing projects across our states, and um, we know that there's a need for that, and we're committed to to growing that. So Mirabella, 
is a great community. It's it's been amazing to watch it unfold over the last four and a half years, and and to have such an amazing partnership with Dr. Crow and, and ASU. But we we think this is going to continue. That once this pandemic ends and people start to be more comfortable and and herd immunity is is you know underway, that we'll be back talking with many of these universities again about a, a project or potential projects like Mirabella at ASU. Great. I think you've you've sort of mentioned some of this. You had mentioned how at least at PRS's CCRCs, you know, some of them it seems to be faring, you know, still relatively well during this pandemic, which is good. And I I saw a recent analysis actually of some life plan community data that showed that those type of communities, you know, life plan communities, CCRCs have fared better than some of their peers with regard to things like occupancy. So I'm curious, are you, you know, in PRS's portfolio, are you finding that that life plan communities have been more resilient to maybe things like census disruptions during this pandemic? You know, maybe given the fact that residents have a, a, a more safety or security focused mindset. So yeah, I guess, how have these communities fared during this pandemic? And I guess also, if they have fared better, why do you think they've they've performed better than some of their other, you know, independent living, assisted living memory care peers? Sure. We've done well. That's not to say that we haven't seen dips in occupancy. I, we had uh, nine people scheduled to move into our Mirabella uh, in Seattle project right as the pandemic hit, and all nine of those people decided to delay their move-in but have since moved in. You know, we are still having sales. We're still making sales. You know, because the length of the CCRC sales cycle is is long, we have a lot of people in the pipeline. You know, some of our communities have over, you know, 100, 200 wait lists. Um, and so, you know, we, we think we've done well. One thing that's been evident for us is, you know, we've seen some of our communities that are older that might have a struggling occupancy before the pandemic have continued to struggle with occupancy post the pandemic. But all of our communities have, have seen move-ins. We did see, though, our, our leads drop significantly, you know, where we would normally have a significant lead database through the, you know, late spring, summer, and then even into the early fall, we saw our leads drop dramatically. But we we expected that was going to be the case when this happened. So, you know, at any given point, we have people who are ready to move into our communities. And so, you know, we would be in contact with them on a regular basis, helping them work through this, giving them guidance in terms of the pandemic and how we're treating with it. One of the things that we established through this is a resident leadership group where there's about three to four residents from each of our communities. And we've been on monthly calls with them, you know, updating them, having our epidemiologists present before them and resident councils. And so that's also helped because these are, you know, this is the word of mouth. You know, our our best leads come uh, usually from our residents. So as our residents have been happy and safe and healthy, you know, we've not had outbreaks um, they've continued to tell their friends, hey, you should come move in. You, you won't experience what you are at your home here at, at, you know, Mirabella or at University Retirement, wherever it may be. So it has been a, it has certainly been a challenge. The good news is, though, because the housing market is still so strong, we believe that's why we're continuing to be strong. If there was a recession or a housing fall off in the middle of this, 
we might be having a very, very different uh, discussion and, and response from our communities. But because the housing market is still so strong, because people are still selling their homes in, in record time and for record prices, you know, that continues to help us with our, you know, our move-ins and, and our occupancy. You know, you, you said, why do you think we may have been doing better or having more success than some of the single sites or memory cares and assisted livings? I just think it's a different client. I think we have a different process. The relationship between our sales team and our and our prospects is is different. So really, and the way we operate is is very different. And so when you you add all of that in, uh, I think that's why you've seen some success. That's why you've seen occupancy stay high. I actually we have a community that's a hundred percent. It was also uh, the last community to have a, a positive test, which I think we were six to seven months into the pandemic before our, our last community had their first positive. So uh, they, they were holding out hope that they were going to make it through the whole pandemic. But uh, we, we reminded them regularly. It's, it's not a matter of uh, it's a matter of when. And so we were prepared for it. But uh, that community has stayed at 100% occupancy during this uh, pandemic. So we feel really good about where we are in the market. We feel good about where our communities are. You know, they're strategic in their locations and, and where we've put them or acquired them. Those are, you know, populations that there's large numbers in bigger metropolitan cities. And so we're, we're pleased with where we are. We, we will continue to do a little bit of work in some of our other areas where occupancy has dipped a little bit. Our operations and sales and marketing teams are already putting plans in place post-pandemic about getting the word out and, and making sure everyone understands what we did and how we did it in our industry. And so we're excited to, you know, kind of move and shift our focus in that direction and away from the pandemic as a whole. You, you had mentioned earlier, Eric, the community housing communities that PRS has. I'm curious, how does that fit into what you do in the senior housing world, if at all? And as we look to the future, do you see opportunities for, for crossover between what you do in community housing and what you do in, in senior housing? Sure. Uh, yeah, great question. You know, most don't know this, but our our community housing is significant. We have over a, a thousand units. We serve about 1,300 residents. We even have one of the 25 communities is a is a multi-site in that it's intergenerational. So there's families, moms and dads and kids, uh, and that's the one here in our our backyard here in Medford. But uh, community housing is a it's a different animal, really. It's interesting because our team in community housing and because of the the federal and, and state requirements, they have you know operations dialed in at all levels. Every policy, every procedure, every possible iteration that has or can or will be done. And so we try to use that at our CCRCs to help us with what we call core common community, which is, you know, our focus on what are the things that are core to all of our company that we're going to do no matter what, whether it's community housing, it's our community volunteer network, it's our, you know, adopted grandparents or our life plan communities. Those are all done no matter what. And then there are the things that we share, processes and procedures that we might share with one another, that communities might share, that some of our communities do, that some don't. And then there's the community focus, which is really at a community level. And and that's what really helps them feel unique and special and and create these, you know, memorable moments um, at a community level because they can, you know, morph and and be who they are and, and turn into what they want to be. And as you can imagine, again, you know, it's, 
wildly different uh, our our community in in Portland versus our one of our communities in in Texas or even if you look at Portland we have two communities and both of those communities are wildly different because they have their own character they have their own kind of way of of being and so you know when we look at our growth strategy it's it's startups it's affiliates and it's community housing you know this past year we had unbelievable fires here in southern oregon and uh at one point in in september of of 20 myself and our our retired ceo brian and uh, our whole corporate team uh, worked with our largest CCRC that, that's here in, in Medford called Rogue Valley Manor. And we had to evacuate a thousand residents. As the crow flies, it ended up being about a half, getting to about a half a mile from us. But large parts of, of the, the cities to the south of us, Phoenix and Talent, burned down. We watched it happen, sitting on top of our hill, feeling helpless about what we could do for them. And you know, it, it all of that helped us realize that we need to do more, especially in community housing. A, a lot of the homes that were lost were manufactured home parks. So we're looking at opportunities right now on how to grow our community housing here in Southern Oregon uh, to give back to our community. And so we are interlinked as a company. We evaluate and, and you know, decide, you know, what it is that we can share across our platforms. And there's much, as I said, we call that core but we also love the independence that allows our communities to be, you know, themselves and be able to learn and grow and create. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff that we can share from platform to platform, and, and we're excited about that. But we always use kind of our, our latest and greatest, our best possible knowledge to to interlink our, our company and all of its businesses because I'm not the president and CEO of just our 12 CCRCs. We're same position for all of our other companies, and they're integral uh, in who we are and what we do. I also wanted to ask you about the future. <laughs> you know, everyone's favorite topic right now, right? <laughs> so we've—I think we've talked a little bit about this today. What's in PRS's growth pipeline right now? How are you all growing? And you know, over the next year or two, in terms of growth, what might we expect to see out of your organization? Yeah, our our number one focus right now is just opening Mirabella at ASU. You know, we have our entire Medford PRS operations team down there opening and, and trying to create this these memorable moments and an amazing climate and culture for our, our new residents who are moving in there with, with COVID. We've we've just certainly had our challenges. We lost an entire department to to COVID one time. You know, we've we've had a resident test positive We've actually, with ASU, ASU actually created their own saliva test. So we test all of our staff and residents before moving in. We actually, PRS and its communities, went out and bought our own machines to do testing as well. And so that that's taking place there. And so right now our, our core focus is, is really on successfully opening Mirabella. As I said, you know, we were in, in talks with eight other universities prior to the pandemic. And I suspect that as things clear and, and you know, tensions, you know, about the pandemic lower, we'll continue to have dialogue with those. The other part for us really is, as I've said previously, that this perspective of the struggling single sites. I was a single site executive director and, and COO in, in California, and I can tell you, you know, having spent almost six years with that company, I didn't have the PRS model. We were it. 
If you were the nurse, you were our infectious disease nurse. You know, and so as we look at and we think about these, our friends over here who are single sites, who are struggling, we're reaching out to them and trying to provide them assistance, support, dialogue, whatever it may be. And so we think we may see some growth in there. I think you're probably going to have some boards and, and single sites who say that was just that was just too much for us, too difficult, too much time, and we should really look at, you know, becoming a part of a larger organization that, that has chief healthcare officers and epidemiologists. So we've already begun some early discussions with single sites who are interested in that. And then again, as I said a short while ago, our community housing, we've been the same size in our community housing with the 25 communities for many years, primarily because of funding. And But now, you know, experiencing what we've experienced here in Southern Oregon with devastating fires that killed many and, and you know, left thousands homeless, we want to make sure we're, we're doing our part in our backyard, too. And so we do see uh, growth in community housing happening specifically in Southern Oregon to start, but continuing through other states in California and in Texas where we have our other our other community housing projects. So that, that's really going to be our focus going forward is just stabilizing our new startup, looking to be in partner with single sites who need support and assistance and potentially affiliation, and then the growth in our, our community uh, housing brand. I want to end our conversation today with kind of, I think, the million-dollar question right now, or million-dollar questions, I should say. So, Eric, as, as we look ahead to the rest of this year, what pitfalls or opportunities do you see ahead? And also, when do you expect maybe to start seeing a wider recovery in the senior living industry? I have heard a wide range of, of opinions on that matter, so I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on, on both. Yeah, you know, things are not going to be solved anytime soon. What we're talking to our teams about is really that be prepared for masks and PPE and, and all the current precautions that we have in place to likely go into late summer or early even early fall. You know, as, as we talk to residents and we update them, that's kind of our message that, you know, it could be this whole calendar year that we continue through that until herd immunity happens. So, you know, we accept that and, and recognize that even though we're seeing large success in primarily our residents um, having the vaccine and to some degree our, our employees, we don't expect this to change much this year. Although we do think early 2022 and maybe into 2023 is where we'll start seeing ourselves kind of come out of the pandemic. You know, the, the country actually can forget things pretty quickly. <laughs> and so I suspect something else will happen, something else will come up, which will change the focus from COVID-19 and this pandemic that we experienced and, and get us focused on other areas. And so I'm hopeful that 2022 is really our year to kind of regain our steam, to refill some of our empty units. But this is going to change us forever. How and what that looks like, we're still working through in our mind and, and what that means for us and what does that do to our sales cycles and, and how do we engage with residents. I, I shared earlier that we have monthly calls with the, the key kind of three or four residents on the council, and we had been doing a, a summit with them every year where we'd bring all of those residents to our home base here in, in Medford and, you know, build great relationships with them. And now with Zoom and, and everything else, we, we think that could change. Uh, we might change how we 
operate and communicate with our residents as a direct result of this going forward. You know, we, we have people in, in our corporate office who are saying, can we look at a, a work from home option? So the pandemic is going to have far reaching impacts on us as a company, but at our core of who we are, life plan communities, you know, community housing provider of senior services, I think we'll get back to some normalcy in 2022, you know, that, that people will start to, you know, be be more apt to maybe shake hands again and, and give each other a hug, which is, you know, lacking at most of our communities right now, the ability to do any of that. And so, but we also think that, you know, this is an opportunity for us and what we call leadership for a new age. You know, it's our tagline. And prior to the pandemic, we spent uh, several days with all of our directors and executive directors and heads of departments across all of our communities talking about what leadership for a new age means, what that looks like for us and who we are. And so we're going to be rolling out leadership for a new age to our communities. And that's just going to be another part of what we do. It's another part of our core systems and who we are. But want to roll that out in 2022. We, we missed our opportunity to get, you know, many, many initiatives completed this year just because of the pandemic. And so our, our residents and our employees are anxious to be able to do that, to get back to some normalcy, to start working on some initiatives that we believe are going to move the needle for us, both in customer experience and satisfaction, but as well as just day-to-day operations. Our communities are tired. This has been a long, long year for them. And they have done an amazing job communicating with their residents, supporting their staff, you know, being the cheerleader, being the leader at their campus, you know, trying to keep, you know, everything in place at a local level so that residents still feel like they are in a community, but that they're safe and and that they're able to, you know, interact in a safe manner and in a manner that, you know, adheres to various county and city requirements. But uh, we're just really anxious for you know, moving out of the pandemic at the end of this year, you know, getting some of our initiatives underway, but really see 2022 probably as the the real next, you know, momentous step in the pandemic where people are now comfortable and we have herd immunity and we're ready to kind of open our doors and become the community that we were pre-coronavirus. Well, those are great thoughts to end it on today, Eric. So I just want to thank you again for coming on Transform. This has been a great discussion. So thanks again for for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming build event in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest update on build and our other scheduled events. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.